Welcome to this week's episode of Weekly Devotions with Pastor James. My name is James, and it's so good to have you with us today. We pray that you are doing well. It is December of 2022, and I am recording this episode, which means Christmas is just around the corner. And uh, it is a season I have always enjoyed my whole life. I've always enjoyed Christmas, and it wasn't just because of the, the presents that I would get. I didn't always get a lot of presents. I got good presents, uh, but growing up, we were not the the family that had you know each kid got like forty seven presents. And that wasn't us. I have always enjoyed Christmas. I've always enjoyed the decorations, the lights, and the music and the shows. One of my favorite uh, movies or stories, if you would, because you know written in book form is uh charles dickens uh the you know the story where with ebenezer ebenezer screws scrooge and you know the the ghost of christmas past and present and future i love that story i've read the book i've watched numerous episodes or, or movies of that and what i'd like to do with you this month is this if you're new to the show uh, I am a pastor, and I've been a pastor for about the last 16, 17 years, and what I'd like to do is share with you this month a couple of sermons that I preached uh, a year or so ago during the Christmas season, and what I did was I took some of the most famous Christmas hymns and pull the message out from them. Literally, we looked at what they sang, sang about, and we looked at Christmas through the lens of this Christmas hymn. And, and depending on the week, the, the hymn changed. And so I'd like to share that with you this, this month, and I pray that it is a blessing with you and for you. I greatly encourage enjoyed doing this series. I can remember doing this series, and so I thought that it would be uh, just something different for you, you to hear a little bit of the history of the song, uh, where it came from, why it was written in some uh, regards, what it actually means and, and what it's saying. And so I'm going to be giving you over to uh, a message that I preached. And the first one we're going to be taking a look at is Joy to the World. And we're going to be taking a look at that. And I pray that it is a blessing to you. And uh, if it is, uh, let us know. You could always uh, touch base with us at guardingthewell.com. You can connect with us there. You could check out a blog that I do. You could check out the bookstore. You could uh, find the podcast there, but guardingthewell.com. And uh, we would love to hear from you. And as always, if you wouldn't mind just hitting the like button on this episode, would greatly, greatly appreciate it and sharing it with uh, your friends. And so we pray that you have a great Christmas and hopefully uh, you enjoy this message that I did on Joy to the World. Uh, if you will, it is the Christmas season, and so I'd like you all to turn to the familiar passage this time of year of Psalm 98. Uh, so if you would, uh, turn to Psalm 98 uh, this morning. I know uh, you all know Psalm 98 very well in light of the Christmas season, uh, and so this is going to be a very familiar passage for you. So Psalm 98, and as you're opening up uh, there this morning, let's go back to the Lord in prayer. Father God. It is good, so good to be here. Father, I look forward to being every Sunday. Father, you allow me and enable me to teach your word. 
be with Your people, to sing about You, to come before You in prayer. Father, it is an incredible thing, and I'm so grateful for it. Father, I thank You for the opportunity to worship and praise You this day. And so, Father, we come to You. Lord, this is the Advent season, the coming of Jesus, where we turn our hearts and our minds upon that time and everything that took place. And I pray that as we do things a little bit different this year, uh, that You would enlighten us, that You would shine the light upon the coming of Christ more in our lives. Help us to realize the message of Christmas that Jesus, You came. That God came in the flesh. And I pray that that would energize us, that it would strengthen us, that it would that you would work in our lives. And so as we always do, we humbly come before you, acknowledging our need for you in all ways, in all forms. And I pray that you would take me, just your humble servant, that you would enable me to teach your words of truth and that you would work in our lives and that you would teach us, that you would equip us, and that you'd help us to realize that you're going to send us out of here in just a little bit of time to tell the world about you. And so we ask for your, your wisdom your faith and your strength and all of this, Lord God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's really good to see you all. Welcome to uh, December. Uh, it's great to see uh, those of you joining us online uh, this morning. Really, really appreciate uh, you. Uh, let us know if you're joining uh, us online. Uh, I like to see that, and uh, every once in a while I'll touch base with you, but it's really good to see you all. Uh, it's Christmas time. How many of you did not know it was Christmas time? Any of you? Most of us know it's Christmas time, right? Uh, one of the things that I like about Christmas, and as you should know, this is, if I counted correctly, my 15th Christmas season at this church. Uh, it has been a long time, uh, and it makes it hard of looking at the Christmas message in all those different ways. It, it makes it difficult. But as you know, I like Christmas. And uh, one of the things that I like about Christmas, well, it's actually a book, but they've turned it into a movie every which way they possibly can, and it is The Christmas Carol. How many of you know the movie, the book, The Christmas Carol, right? Uh, most of you do. Uh, you know it. Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, tiny, uh, tiny, uh, tiny uh, Tim, I kind of combined words there. Uh, Kermit the Frog, he's in a couple of them, right? Miss Piggy, um, you know, you got Bob Cratchit. Uh, for some reason, I have always liked that story. I don't know why I've always liked it. I can remember when I was in college up in Scranton, the, the Scranton Library was literally across the street from uh, the college, and I actually went over there one day, and I actually took the Christmas Carol out of the library. Like, why do I have to study child psychology? I'll just read the Christmas Carol, you know what I mean? Uh, and so that's what I did. I read the whole book. They've made it into, like, all these different movies, and I think there's, it's amazing how much truth there is actually in that story. And I know I'm not talking about truth when it comes to the ghosts or anything, but truth as in what Christmas does to people. You realize like, Christmas changes people. The season of Christmas changes people. For some, they get all happy and bubbly, right? You know people like that. Christmas is upon them. You know, they're getting really happy. They're getting bubbly. They use their house to direct airplanes, right? Uh, I would probably do that if I had the money to pay someone to decorate my house. But you know that type of person. like every, And it's great. They're happy and they're bubbly. But then there's the other side. Right? Christmas turns other people into, I guess, 
Ebenezer Scrooge, right? You know people like that. I don't know what happens to them. They just get miserable, right? What is the line from the Christmas story? Bah humbug. Yeah, bah, bah humbug. People get like that. I worked in grocery uh, stores long enough to know that it is true. Perfectly sane people lose their minds about the second week of November and they don't get it back till about the third week of January. That season of time, perfectly sane people, they just lose their minds, right? You've known, you know it, you've seen it, you've lived with it in some way or shape or form, or maybe you're that person that loses your mind this time of year. So let me ask you this. What does the Christmas season do for you? Does it get you all excited? Does it get you like energized and more focused in on the person, the work of Jesus? Does it get you excited and joyful about Christ? Or does the Christmas season turn you into, let's say, Ebenezer Scrooge? What does the Christmas season do for you? You see, this morning we start our new series called Joy to the World. And in this series, we're going to take a look at five of the most popular, most well-known Christmas hymns, and we're going to pull out the biblical message that they have. And so in a way, we're going to look at Christmas through their message and how and where it lines up with Scripture. And so this morning, we're going to start with the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World. And here's what I want you to grab today, okay? What I want you to grab today. Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas ought to energize our worship of the Lord. The true meaning of Christmas ought to energize our worship of the Lord. And so I have three points for you. We're going to have the background, we're going to have the marvelous things, and then we're going to have joy to the world. And so we have to get to work. And so the place, first place we have to start here is the background, right? Now, as you all know, I am very, very gifted in music, Okay. Morgan, I thought you'd laugh louder on that, right? Amy's probably picking herself up off the floor. Uh, I, you all know that I am not gifted in any way, shape, or form at music. Actually, no, I take that back. I am gifted at music. I'm very gifted at making it sound bad, okay? But I am not gifted in music, and I have not studied music at all. But there is something that I am good at, and that is looking things up and studying them. I can handle that. And so this morning, I wanted to start this series off with one of maybe the most well-known Christmas hymn that is out there. And it is Joy to the World. How many of you like Christmas hymn, Joy to the World? Is Joy to the World anybody's favorite Christmas hymn this morning? Anybody? Oh, that's good. Because uh, the bad news is it's not a Christmas hymn. I've told you this before, Joy to the World is not a Christmas hymn. And in reality, it wasn't even written to be a hymn. I'll explain that in a second. See, a man by the name of Isaac Watts, he wrote this hymn. Now, Isaac Watts, he, he, he wrote a lot of different things, and he wrote other hymns. And one of the other hymns he wrote is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, which is a great hymn. We've sung it here before. He wrote that, and so he's written other hymns, and he's written poetry. But when it comes to this hymn, Joy to the World, Joy to the World was not written to be a hymn. It was actually written to be a poem. Because here's why, and I want you to get this. You, I, I want you to understand this. In the early 1700s, Watts, he published a book of poems, right? And what he did was this. In that book of poems, he took the Psalms, you know, the, the book of Psalms that we're in this morning, I'm going to read it to you in a moment, just relax. 
right? He took the Psalms and he read the Psalms and what he did was he wrote poetry off of that Psalm that he wrote. So he say he read Psalm 98 and then he wrote a poem about Psalm 98. And a lot of people say he actually paraphrased the Psalm. But here's what Isaac Watts did in this poetry, in this book, what he did with the Psalms is he actually looked at the psalm through the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And so he'd look at the psalm and he'd read what the psalms say, and he'd go, how does this fulfilled in Christ? How did, did Jesus fulfill this? How is this done in Jesus? And so he's looking at the psalms through the lens of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing thing for you and I to do in our daily lives, is look at everything that comes up in our lives through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so do you follow me at what Isaac Watts did here? He looked at the psalm, he goes, huh, did Jesus fulfill that? Is Jesus going to fulfill that? How does that apply to Jesus? And he paraphrased, if you would, the psalm into a poem talking about what Jesus did in that psalm. That makes sense. At least go like this. Even if you don't understand, go like this, okay? Um, I had to explain that to Amy a couple nights ago. I'm like, do you understand what I'm saying? And she's like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I'm like, okay, good. So when it comes to joy to the world, it was not written to be a hymn. Isaac Rott wrote it to be a poem based off of Psalm 98, which we're going to read in one second. It didn't get turned into a song until later on. If you were to look in our hymnals, I know there are some of them scattered throughout the, 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 the pews. If you were to find joy to the world in that hymnal, up on the top left corner, you're going to see it's inspired on or based on Psalm 98. And on the right corner, you're going to see two other guys' names. The, the one guy, he's the guy that kind of took the poem that Isaac Watt made, tweaked it a little bit, and set it to music to somebody else, and it became the hymn that we know today. But Isaac Watt wrote this to be a poem based on Psalm 98 in view of the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And so what is Psalm 98? Well, I'm glad you asked, so let's read it. Psalm 98, we're going to read the whole thing. It's only nine verses. What we read there is this, a psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made, known, made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst in a jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. That's Psalm 98. And off of that, Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World. And if you're wondering what actual portion of Psalm 98, it's verses 4 to 9, is where he gets part of the poem he wrote that gets made into what we know as joy to the world. Now you need to understand just a little bit about this psalm. Psalm 98 is believed to be written <clears throat> excuse me, in the time period of when the nation of Israel is just released from their 70-year captivity in Babylon. 
Remember in the book of Malachi, we just finished, I told you it's been a while, and they're all happy they got released from uh, Babylon. They came home, and they started trying to rebuild everything. It is believed that Psalm 98 was written just in the time frame of them being released from captivity in Babylon and getting back home to Jerusalem and building the temple, rebuilding the temple. So it's believed it's written right in that period of time. And so in their minds and in their heart, they're just filled with an overwhelming sense of freedom. That God had set them free and allowed them to go home. Imagine for the last 70 years, you and your family have been held captive and oppressed by a, a foreign nation. That you were taken from your homeland. And now, you're able to go home. There's going to be a joy and excitement in that. It was a mindset of joy because of being home and being able to rebuild the temple and worship the Lord rightly and properly. That initial joy and excitement of something was still there within them. In light of the hardships, in light of the difficulties, in light of the pain that was going on in your life. Because if you remember, and I told you the book of Malachi, when they came out of Babylon, things were hard. They had to rebuild everything. All the people around them, they didn't want to do anything. And so there was a hardship. There was a difficulty of rebuilding life. But they were excited. They were joyful because of what God has did. And that was freeing them from Babylon. As you read this psalm, you'll notice the singing, the shouting for joy, the making of music. It was all coming out of their pain. It was all coming out of their difficulty. You see, that is true worship of the Lord. And I had to be really careful. I couldn't take this into a sermon on worship, even though I wanted to. You see, true worship of the Lord comes out of pain. It comes in those moments of darkness and hardship. Then in the midst of hardships, we sing out to the Lord, for the Lord, because of the Lord. You see, worship is not about us. And I'll tell you this again, worship is everything that we do in life. Everything you do in life is worship. How you're on social media, how you work, how you interact with your neighbors. Worship is not just this. Worship is everything that we do in our lives is worship. And worship is not about us. Worship is not about the person up front leading in, in anything. Worship is not about how things are going in our lives. Worship is not about how things are going in the world. Worship is about God. True worship is about Him. That our worship ought to have a life in it, a joy in it, an excitement in it. That we are excited about Christ, that we are filled with a joy about Jesus. You see, that is why Isaac Watt wrote this poem. You see, Isaac Watt, he grew up in a time period where the music in church was the Psalms and Scripture set to music. That wasn't the problem. It is great, it is wonderful to sing scripture. Watt's problem was not so much the words that were being said. His problem was this. It was that as he looked at the church, as he looked at the people, he didn't see any life to their worship. He didn't see any joy in their worship. He didn't see any emotion in their worship with the Lord. And that did not sit well with Isaac Watts. And so Isaac Watts, in another time, he actually wrote this. He said, to see the dull indifference 
benignant and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly, while the psalm is upon their lips, might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. Isaac Watts goes, I look around and I see the church, and there's no life to them. There's no emotion. There's no joy. There's no excitement in their worship of the Lord. And he goes, because of that, he goes, someone could observe and go, their whole religion is inward. Do they really have this care, this joy about the Lord? And that's what got Isaac Watts going. And so Isaac Watts, his dad, actually said, well, do something about it. You know the time period of life where people where things are wrong and instead of sitting back waiting for somebody else to fix something, people actually go, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll do something about it. I don't know if we're in that period of time anymore. But when Isaac Watts was living, he did that. And his dad goes, well, if you don't like the music, if you don't think there's a joy and excitement in it, do something about it. And so Isaac Watts, he wrote music. He wrote poetry. He wrote this poem in light of verse 4. 98, Psalm 98, verse 4, says, Shout for the joy of the Lord, all the earth burst in the jubilant song with music. Let me ask you, has that verse ever applied to you? Has it ever applied to us? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth burst in the jubilant song with music. This verse, as you can see, tells us to shout for joy to the Lord. Notice, shout. Not whisper. Not just move our lips. Not have anything to come out. And this is, he goes, shout for the Lord. That we ought to sing mightily for God. I'll even go one step further, that we're to proclaim God mightily, loudly, that we proclaim Christ through our speaking and interactions with others or our singing. That we are to shout to the Lord. That we should shout for the Lord for others. But why? Why should we shout for the Lord? Well, I think, and this is where I think Isaac Watts' mind went. Actually, I'm pretty sure I know where his mind went. Because his mind went to Jesus. Why should we shout for the Lord? Well... He tells us. Oh, and by the way, this poem is not about a baby being born in a manger either. The song Joy to the World is not about Jesus being born. It's about his second coming. So when Isaac Watts looked at Psalm 98, he saw everything in the light of Jesus' second coming. So technically, it's not even a Christmas hymn. It's a poem. So here's the thing. Isaac Watts knew that you and I should shout for joy. But why? Those are the marvelous things. Go back to Psalm 98, verse 1. The writer of the psalm says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Would you say that is other language for shout to the Lord with music? Like, yeah, shout to the Lord a new song. Why? For he has done marvelous things. And then the writer of the psalms goes on to talk about the marvelous things that God had done for the nation of Israel, which I'll touch upon in a couple of minutes. I think Isaac Watts, he looks at verse 4, he goes, shout to the Lord, and he goes, why? 
Why should we be so excited, so filled with joy for God? It's because of verse 1, because of the marvelous things that he has done. And so what I want to do for you is I want to blend this Psalm 98 and the song Joy of the World together and show you this, all right? It's kind of tricky, but I have a couple things for you, all right? It's not five or seven things this week. It's only nine, okay? Uh, none of you laughed. You're, the joke is getting old. I got it. I only have three things for you, okay? Three marvelous things that God has done for us. And I only stopped at three because they come up in Psalm 98 and they're in the song Joy to the World. So are you with me? Yep. All right, good. Bob said yes, and we're ready to go. The Eagles must be on at one o'clock. Bob wants me to keep going, all right? So what are the marvelous things that God has done that should be causing us to shout for joy? Well, the first thing is this. He's come. What are the first few words of the hymn, Joy to the World? The Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Now, I just told you that Isaac Watt has in mind the second coming of Jesus. But we can also look back and say, you know what? The Lord has come. I've been thinking about Christmas, this series, since September. And please don't judge me when I tell you this. I've been listening to Christmas music since October. Okay? And one of the reasons I've been listening to Christmas music since October is because of this series. I wanted to start listening to Christmas music a little bit earlier to get my mind thinking about this series. And as I've been listening to Christmas music for two months now, there's been an overarching thought that I have had. And what that is is this. That we have lost sight of we have lost the importance of, we have lost the greatness of the fact that God came. That God came to this earth. We've lost sight of it. We, we don't really think about it. We've lost sight of it. We've taken it for granted. And because of that, the coming of Jesus first time, what we celebrate this month. It's lost its shine. It's lost its glory. It's lost its splendor and its majesty. And so what do we do? Yeah, God came, but can you pass the rolls? God came, but yeah, but you know what? I really need to make a lot of cookies and cakes this week. God came, but, oh, man, I missed Cyber Monday. Now i got to pay an extra $6. That's where we're at. We're going to work this out deeper in another sermon this month in, in, in this series. We may even ha actually have a big word Sunday coming up. But let's face it. How often do you and I sit back and remember, think about the fact that God came here, here, God came here. I'm not saying Plymouth, I'm saying like the earth, okay, that God came here, that Jesus, God in the flesh came to this earth. 
And, and we don't, we're not even to bring up the cross and, and his death and his resurrection. Just, oh, he came here. The earth is cool and all. It's the only planet I've ever been on, right? There's a lot of great things to look at on the earth. You know, you got a couple things on Australia. You have the Grand Canyon. You have Niagara Falls. You know, you have Yankee Stadium, right? We have, wait, wait, we have football. I mean like football, not soccer, but we have football, right? We have pizza. We have funnel cake. Like we have ice cream. Like we have like great stuff, but really, think about it. God came here. How many of you are going to go, God, I'm enjoying heaven, but I'd like to leave here for the next three decades and go down there. Who signs up for that? Jesus did. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm trying to get you to realize this, that Jesus, God came to the earth. He came to the Middle East without air conditioning. He left heaven. He left perfection. He left the closeness of the relationship that he had with the Father to the point he cries out while on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God came here. Like that is a marvelous thing that God has done. That he entered into our time that he entered into his creation, to be with his creation. Not to mention he did it by, via virgin birth, where God had to have diapers, where he had to learn how to walk, he had to learn how to talk, he had to learn how to eat, that he had to go through life. Like he came here, and we lose sight of it. We lose sight of it. We're more, more focused on how much shipping is, or how long shipping is going to take from Amazon. Every email I've gotten over the last three weeks, well, if you want it there by Christmas, you got to order it by this day. That's what we care about. And we forget the marvelous thing that God has done. He came. Without getting into everything else, God came. Not to mention He's coming again. The Lord has come. Does that fact have any weight on your daily life and what you go through? Because this work of God should cause us to shout with joy. Because the Lord has come. But it's not the only marvelous work that God has done. You see, Isaac Watt, he goes on to say this, the king rules. The song, Joy of the World, goes, let the earth receive its king. Then a bit later on, it says, he rules the world, truth and grace. Truth and grace. You see, we see in this, the fact that God is king, that Jesus is king, and that he rules with truth and grace. If you don't mind, take a look at verse 6 of Psalm 98. We read this, verse Psalm 98, uh, the end of verse 6 says this, With trumpets and the blasts of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. And it's not up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles open, look at Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. 
Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shore rejoice. And in Psalm 96, verse 10, it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. You see, in this little cluster of psalms here, one of the key themes is the fact that the Lord reigns. That He is King and Jesus is King. And now I know that Isaac Watt was seeing Jesus as King in His second coming. And that Jesus is going to sit and rule from His throne. And He is going to rule in truth and grace. That is going to happen. But for the writers of these Psalms and for the writer of Psalm 98, there was an earthly king they had to submit to. And I want you to get that. When they wrote Psalm 98, there was an earthly king that they needed to submit to. It was a king that says, let them go out of Babylon. They had to answer to him. They had to seek his permission and stuff. They had to give taxes back to him. If they did anything wrong, they would have to answer to him. There was an earthly king sitting in authority over them. But notice in light of that reality, they say, no, 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 no. Lord is king. And also notice, they don't say that the king will reign. They say the Lord reigns. It's active. That he is reigning. Do you know what Jesus reigns today? I don't know if you realize that or not. That God is on the throne today. The coming of Christ the first time shows us this. The work of the cross and the empty grave shows us this. And the fact that Jesus is going to come again shows to us the fact that God is on the throne, ruling and reigning in complete authority right now. This is why we shout for joy. Because Jesus is on the throne. This is why our worship... This is why our lives should be filled with an excitement and joy and a hope and life overflowing because God is on the throne. He reigns. He is in control. He's king. We get so worried. We get so focused, as I said last week, on the here and now that we lose sight of the fact that God is in control. The Republicans are not in control. The Democrats are not in control. The media is not in control. Social media is not in control. Doctors are not in control. Foreign nation is not in control. You know who's ultimately in control? God. He's king. And he's ruling over absolutely everything down to the tiniest thing in your life and the lives of your loved ones and your friends to global affairs. He's overseeing and ruling in all of it. And for some, this bothers them because they think that God is out to get them, that he's just a bloodthirsty, vengeful God. Well, if you reject Jesus, God will punish you for your sin. But notice what Isaac Watts says. He pulls it right from Scripture. He says, the king rules with truth and grace. You know where he gets it from? At least I think. John chapter 1, verse 14. So the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh, that's his incarnation, that's his birth, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only, who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Jesus came 
filled with grace and truth. The ruling of Jesus is done in truth and grace, which means there's no falsehood. There's no injustice in his rule. That truth will prevail and that justice will be handed out rightly. As you read in Psalm 98, verse 9, where it says, in the pe- He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Equity speaks to a fairness and equality. That there is truth and there is grace. That grace, that which, grace which we don't deserve is available to us in Jesus because of Jesus. It's who He is. Jesus came in truth and grace and He reigns even right now in truth and grace. If you're looking for truth, there's only one place you're going to find truth. And it's in Christ. It's not in the news. It's not on social media. Truth is found in Jesus because Jesus is truth. If you need grace like the rest of us, grace is found in Christ. No place else. Grace is found in Jesus. And the marvelous thing that God has done is that He rules with truth and grace in our lives today. God is going to rule in your life tomorrow with truth and grace. Next Thursday... God's going to be ruling with truth and grace in your life. Next year, God is going to be ruling with truth and grace in your life. Come 2090, how old am I? I don't know how old I'm going to be. I don't even know if I'll be here. But if Jesus hasn't come back, even if Jesus has come back, guess what? God is still going to be ruling as king with truth and grace. It is an amazing work that should cause us to shout for joy in our lives. You see, the work of God should energize our worship and fill it with joy and life. But there's one more work I want to point out to you. That's Jesus the Savior. What does the line of the song say? Some of you are like, oh, pastor, I don't know. There's a reason why some of you may not know this line as well as you do as others. The Savior reigns, and then later on it says, no more let sin and sorrows grow, you know the rest, nor thorns infest the ground, he comes to make his blessings flown, flow, or known, as far as the curse is found. Do you know in modern adaptations of Joy to the World, they'll take this verse out? Instead of singing four verses, they sing three verses. And if my mind is right, we'll see in a couple minutes, I think it's verse three that they take out. Because people don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to mention sin. Isaac Watts saw it. And in it, I think he saw the greatest work of all. Jesus is our Savior. I want you to go back to Psalm 98, verses 2 to 3. We read this. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You notice they're talking about salvation there. But what's their salvation? Their salvation there is not the coming of the Messiah. Their salvation there is them being freed from their captivity. 
that God freed them from their bondage in Babylon, that God saved them from their oppression and has brought them home. That was the salvation that they were talking about. That was the salvation that everybody in the known world had seen and known about then. That is what they are talking about. But for you and I this day, the Savior that came, the Savior that reigns, has freed us. Not from the oppression and captivity of a foreign nation, but from sin and from the curse. You see, there's a curse that Scripture talks about. So when you sing the song, it says, as far as the curse is found, that's a biblical concept. Because there's a curse in Scripture. It is found in Genesis chapter 3. Right after Adam and Eve sin, God comes and you know what he does? He curses serpent. And then he curses the woman. Ladies, I tell this, I say this to Amy all the time, not as much now. I go, do you want to know why it was so painful to give birth? I go, because that was part of the curse, because of sin. Childbirth was supposed to be a lot less painful, ladies. But because of sin, God goes, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Part of the curse. And then he looks at Adam. He goes, Adam, you know the ground that you work? Yeah, it's not going to be easy anymore. You're going to do it by the sweat of your brow. Oh, and it's not going to produce all this life-giving stuff. It's going to produce thorns and thistles going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You want to know why work is horrible? It's not because of your co-workers. It's because of sin. It's part of the curse. Oh, you know what the last part of the curse is? Death. It's death. And so the curse is death. Curse is the effects of sin. The things that come because of sin. Death, hardship, and difficulty in work and providing for our family. Childbirth for ladies is all, and there's more to it. But that's the curse. And that's what Isaac Watt is writing about. As far as the curse is found. You see, you and I, we have a curse on us and we cannot get out of it. You and I were under bondage and oppression from, not from a nation like Israel was, but from sin and the effects of sin. And we cannot free ourselves. And we need a Savior. We need somebody to save us. And so our Savior comes. Our king comes. Because if you look at joy to the world, because he's king, but he's also savior. Our king comes to save us. And so he comes. And he reigns over us. And Jesus frees us. Because this is what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse. Notice the language. He's redeemed us from the curse. What is the curse? It's sin and the effects of sin. He goes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who's hung on a tree. He, Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessings, was the line of the joy of the world? That his blessings would flow, Right? He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
that Jesus is our Savior, that He has come to redeem us and re save us and rescue us from the curse and the effects of the curse because He became the curse for us and hung on a tree, paying our penalty, paying our fine, dying our death, so that in Christ, because of Christ, we may be redeemed from the curse and experience the blessings that God wants to give to His people. Isaac Watts saw that. That's what we sing. You see, our Savior sets us apart. Do I have to back up? What time is it? Oh boy. It's not good when the pastor says, oh boy. In all of this, Isaac Watts had the second coming in mind, but there's more to it. It's not just heaven. I've taught it on in the past, but there's a, a word in Scripture that's called sanctification. The word sanctification it means set apart. Sanctification has a few different parts to it. And so quickly, to some degree, sanctification is finished. In other degrees, in other aspects, it's still going on. You see, our Savior sets us apart from the penalty of sin, that being death. He redeems us from death, separation from God. That is finished. That in Christ, Jesus saves, He rescues, He sets us apart from death and God's wrath and punishment. That's finished in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But there's also what some call progressive sanctification, that it's ongoing. What that means is that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, setting us apart from the power of sin so that sin does not grow in our lives. That while we do not become sinless on this, part, this side of heaven, we do or we should as we mature in Christ, grow in Christ, we sin less and less and our lives become the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, this work is only done because of the Savior. But then there's what is called glorification. You know what glorification is? That is when God sets us apart from the presence of sin altogether. And that is us being in heaven with Him. There's not going to be anything of sin there. You see, Jesus the Savior saves and He comes and saves His people through the work on the cross in the empty grave. Because He is alive and He is coming back, He saves us from the curse. As far as the curse is found. And in that, we're saved from death. He works within us so that sin doesn't grow in our lives, hopefully, prayerfully. And that one day, sin will not even be there at all. I don't know if that excites you. I don't know if that brings a joy to you. Why should I be joyful about Christmas? Why should I be joyful about Jesus? He saves you from a curse that you yourself cannot get out of. Why? if that doesn't bring an excitement and a joy to your worship of God, I don't know what will. Is Jesus your Savior? I had this thought this past week. It's one that pastors have a lot. I was in a conversation about the Bible. And all I was thinking was, do people think because they talk about the Bible, they try to learn the Bible, they come to church that they are saved? That Jesus is their Savior. Have you ever truly come before God? Talked with Him. Confessed that you are a sinner. That you need His forgiveness. That you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And confess that Jesus is Lord. Have you ever 
ever done that in your life. You have to do that in order for God to save you. You have to. Is Jesus your Savior? And so that brings us to the third point. Joy to the world. Back to verse 4, Psalm 98. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. First in the jubilant song with music. Isaac Watt looked and he saw no life, no joy, no emotion in the worship of the people. And he called people back to the joyful excitement and worship of God because of the great and marvelous things that God has done. Worship is far more than singing, as I said. It's everything we do in life. Our lives should be bursting forth into jubilant song because of Jesus. And I know life gets hard. Trust me, I know life gets hard and the last thing you want to do is worship God. Worship is not about us. It's about Him. And the marvelous things He has done, is doing, and will do. Our praise, our lives should be about Him and for Him and to Him. Is it? So I would encourage you to let Christmas, the message of Christmas, the greatness of Christmas, energize your worship and bring joy to your soul so that you and I would shout to the Lord and for the Lord because of all the marvelous things that He has done. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for today. Lord, we thank You for the marvelous things that You have done. Jesus, I thank You for becoming a curse for us, being hung on a tree to redeem us from the curse that we ourselves cannot get ourselves out of. I pray that you would help us to realize the great and marvelous things that you have done. I pray that Christmas, the meaning of your birth, your coming, would energize our worship, our lives to you and for you, that they would be filled with joy and excitement and praise, so that all the world may know that you are King, that you are Savior, that you have come to save many. We pray that you draw that many to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.